0: Uh, Dan, I'm one of the uh, leaders here at the church. It's great to have you with us. Happy New Year. Um, someone during the week saw our balloons and did ask me, did two people have a birthday? Uh, a 19th and a 20th birthday? Um, that's not what it is. But I hope you like our balloons. And, and in the New Year, often people make New Year's resolutions. Who's, who's made a New Year's resolution? Let's see what kind of crowd we are. Are we a New Year's resolution crowd? Not really, about two people. Um, But everybody, at the turn of the year, it's an opportunity for people to make decisions about how they want to live. Um, In the past, I made uh, resolutions such as uh, I wanted to to run a half marathon. I've never been brave enough to do a full. Uh, I want to eat more vegetables. Um, I want to have a a date night with my wife every week. Uh, And this, this last year, my aim... It wasn't as much a, a resolution, it was an aim. And my aim was to, to read 24 books in the year. That was my aim, two books a month. And I, I'm pleased to say it was a resolution I, I actually achieved. Uh, thank, thank you. <laughs> See you next week. No, um, you know, sometimes our resolutions are successful, but often, I think that's probably one of the only ones I've ever achieved. Often they fail. Um, if, you, if you've ever been a member of a gym you will know that the first week in January is a nightmare because everyone is suddenly out of the woodwork, everyone's there exercising, you can't go on any machine, but you just wait out until the first of February and everyone's gone again. And, and so often I reflect on my, my spiritual life and, and, and I, there's areas that I wanna make changes. You know, I wanna read my Bible more, I wanna pray more, I wanna step out more and share my faith like Phil just spoke about. You might be the same. And and often we can live in this constant state of, of spiritual guilt about not quite doing enough, never quite making the grade. And if that is how you see yourself today, then today's message is for you. Today's message is for everyone who wants to live a life that glorifies God but struggles. Today's message is for everyone who wants to change but keep messing up. Because today's message is about how God wants to equip us. And I believe that God wants to move powerfully in our lives today, and he wants to transform us as we move into this year ahead. Um, we've been coming to the end of a, a series looking at the, the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament and the Bible, and that we've been looking at this series since, um, I think it was probably April, And this uh, book is actually a a letter written by a man named Paul to the the church in in Ephesus, which is now modern-day Turkey, and the surrounding area. They're a new group of believers, and Paul is trying to help them work out what it means for them to be followers of Jesus. What does it mean for their identity to believe what God says about them and to embrace that? Uh, Last week, Mark spoke about the battle that we are in. That as believers, we have this enemy, the devil, who wants to steal, and he wants to destroy our lives. He wants to re- destroy the relationship that we have with God. But we were so helpfully reminded that although we're in a battle, it is one that has already been won. The final victory is Christ's. That we don't need to be fixated on the enemy. We must be aware that he exists, but his power is no match for Christ's. I'm going to read the verses that Mark spoke from um, in Ephesians six ten to 13 just to give us a bit of context. And then I'm going to carry on reading up to verse 20. And then we're going to look at what the passage is saying. So verse 10 from Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all of the Lord's people. Also, pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't keep at arm's length, but you embrace us and that you give us your word so that we would know you more. And Lord, as we read these verses, as we look at these verses, I just pray you would move. I pray you would be speaking to every single one of us. Lord, I pray for myself that I would be able to hear from you and speak clearly. I pray just as Paul says, that, that I may declare it fearlessly because we know that your word is life. And changes us. And Lord, we just open to that. We know we're desperate for you. We hunger for you. So be with us now, Lord. Amen. Paul, throughout his letters, he's been reminding the believers in Ephesus of who Christ is and what he's done for them. He's been sharing some wonderful truths. And then he draws the, the letter to a close by instructing them to be strong. Paul then speaks about the way that we are going to be strong is by putting on the armor of God. And by this, at the end of this morning, I hope that you have a better understanding of what this armor is and what it means for us. But firstly, why do we need armor? Mark spoke about it last week, that we are in a battle. Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world. And then he calls us to go into the darkness and to be that light, We are in a battle because as we go into that darkness, it is the evil forces are out there. There is such darkness, yet we are called to penetrate that darkness with light. Things will come against us as we step into the darkness. Because as we step into the darkness, there is an enemy. The devil is described as a thief. He wants to rob us of our life. Jesus comes and he says, I want to give you life and in its fullness, And the devil wants to rob you of that life. Everything that Christ wants to do to give you life, the devil wants to undermine. This is a spiritual battle and therefore the armor we need is not physical, but it is spiritual. We're not fighting flesh and blood. Paul is speaking about the armor and then he speaks about a belt, a breastplate, shoes, a shield, helmet and a sword. He was no doubt thinking about a Roman soldier when he says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Thinking about this picture up here, this armor that a soldier would put on. So as he thinks about that, he then moves into the next verse and he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm." is our struggle now if you've heard me speak before you know that i don't often refer to the hebrew language that things were the 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 scripture is written in so do humor me on this one but the word struggle or your bible if you've got one in front of you, you might say wrestle is a word called pale and this word is used nowhere else in scripture only one time this word is used and it's not a spiritual word, but it's actually a word that describes the the ancient sport of Greek wrestling. I was gonna put a picture up of Greek wrestling, but honestly, they were like they had no clothes on. I felt this is not appropriate. <laughs> Don't Google that. Do not Google. Guard your, guard your hearts and your minds from that. But this ancient sport, it, it actually was part of the original um, Olympic Games. And this is a sport that, that where the fighters would be local celebrities. This was a sport that they were, the readers were all so familiar with. It might be our version of football or, or rugby league. So it seems really strange that Paul is saying, we've got this really, really important battle that's going on in the heavenly realms, and then says, so fight like a wrestler. It's almost like this, he seems to trivialize it by comparing it to sport. Why does he do this? Well, I believe he does it because a lot of the time, the battles that we can be in can seem quite insignificant and even unspiritual. You know, the battle that you're going through at the moment with your child's behavior, the battle you're going on to feel peace and not be anxious, the battle that you go through every morning just to get yourself out of bed, the battle you are going through at the moment to show love to that boss who is treating you badly. That battle you are going through to try and avoid the temptation to watch that pornography when you get a moment alone. Paul is speaking about this battle in the heavenly realms, so in comparison, our battles can seem small and insignificant. They can seem like, oh mate, they don't don't feel very spiritual. Paul knows that God cares about every battle we are in. Each of our battles will look different. The attacks of the enemy in my life will look different than the attacks in yours. But whatever battle you are going through right now, you need to know that God cares for you. And he wants to equip us today. And maybe right now, you might think, well, I don't really feel like I'm in much of a battle. Trust the Bible when it says that we will face battles. James 1, 12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We put on the armor so that when attack comes, we are not taken out because we are ready for the battle. You see, when life is going well, we are at most risk of failing to equip ourselves. You know, I know this in my own life as the times where I have felt like, actually, I'm doing all right. I feel like I can manage this life is a time where I've drifted furthest away from God. I start to rely on myself and my own strength. We get surprised when that famous preacher who gets up on God TV every day and preaches the gospel and then what happens? His marriage fails. Or that famous Christian writer who writes tons of books and he has just released another bestseller and then his moral failings are exposed. In the high points of life, we have failed to arm ourselves and we have been taken out by the enemy. We need to be prepared so that when the devil comes, we are ready. Jesus prepared for his ministry by studying scripture in the temple. When the devil tries to tempt him in the wilderness, he responds by quoting scripture, the scripture that he had learnt. He had armed himself for the battle. And when Paul was thinking about armour, he would have no doubt also been thinking about the words that were written in Isaiah 59, as it speaks about God being clothed in armour in order to deal with the wrongdoing and evil of the world. It says this, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on the righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal, as in a cloak. know this armor that God covers himself in means that he's equipped to do the task. Jesus comes equipped to do the task he was called to do. He was able to intervene on our behalf, and now he gives us that armor so that we can now stand strong and do God's work. So how does God equip us for this work? What is the armor? Well, firstly, There is the belt of truth. Say, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Jesus declared when he was walking on this earth that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Just before he was crucified, uh, he reminds Pilate of that claim. And Pilate responds by saying, what is truth? What is truth? And nearly 2,000 years ago, uh, ago, that question was asked, but now, even now, that question grips us like never before. This idea, of relativism, this idea that there is no absolute truth is right. The view that what can be true for you is different from what can be true for me. Universal truth, the idea that there is a truth out there, is so unpopular. We live in a world where it becomes increasingly un- it, 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 sort of difficult to say anything is absolutely true without getting in trouble. How can you say there's not multiple gods? How can you say my behavior is wrong? How can you claim that gender is decided by God and not us? How can you say that marriage should be between one man and one woman? You know, as followers of Jesus, we have chosen to follow the one who is truth. Everything he says is true. Our whole way of thinking is no longer shaped by what we think or what the world says, but what Christ says. The truth does not come from ourselves. But the way we think, what we value, our actions are all shaped by the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. Do you have that belt of truth wrapped around you? So often we can have this messed up idea of truth. It's a little bit of what the Bible says, a little bit of how I was brought up, and a lot of my environment that I'm surrounded by, you know, the people we spend time with, the things we read, the stuff we watch, Now, it's important to say that we live in a culture that we are involved with. We can never be impartial when it comes to truth. We always come with our background and our baggage. You know, we don't have to reject our history, but we must be aware of how our worldviews shape what we believe. We must constantly evaluate the way we think to ensure that we are living by the truth that Jesus says and not this pick-and-mix selection of what we have built up uh, and our ideas of truth. You know, being in discipleship relationships are so important. Spending time with other believers as they can really help you see where you are blind spots or where you are thinking or living in a way which is contrary to the truth that Jesus brings. And the truth, we believe, is so important because what we believe controls the way we live. If we believe that nothing exists after this life, then we will live in a very different way. If we believe we are better than other people, either cultures or races, then we will treat them in an inferior way. But if we believe the truth, Jesus says that the truth will set us free to experience the fullness of life that he offers. If we believe that what we do now matters for eternity, then we will live with intentionality. If we believe that God is good, then we will trust him always. If we believe that God wants to empower us, then we will rely on him. If we believe that the Bible is the word of God, then we will live by it. And that also means that we won't bother with lies. Jesus says about the devil in John 8 that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, the father of lies. He wants us to believe lies. But we win the battle that we are in by believing the truth and having no interest with lies. You know, if someone speaks ill of me, you know what? I rest in the confidence of who Christ says I am. You know, I don't bother doubting, does God love me? Because I know the truth, that he went to the cross for me. You know, when I don't feel close to God, then I know the truth, that he is always there for me. I am not, we're not to be controlled by the way we think or our emotions in the moment, but we are to be controlled by the truth. God couldn't love me. That's rubbish. I know the truth. Christ went to the cross for me. We must arm ourselves ready for the battle with this belt of truth. Secondly, there is this breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate that is worn to protect a fighter's torso, but most importantly, his heart. The devil is described as a liar, but he's also described as an accuser. Revelation 12:10. It says that the devil accuses us before God day and night. He comes alongside you, reminds you of your past failure. He says, you'll never be good enough. God couldn't love someone like you. You You're always going to be a failure. In the battle, the devil wants to sideline you so that you are ineffective. Because when you believe that you are never going to be good enough, or you spend yourself looking over your shoulder, feeling guilty about your past, then you will never step into what God has for you and step into his purposes in your life and the enemy wins that battle. Move on to someone else, they're sidelined. But God wants to equip us with this breastplate of righteousness, that when the enemy comes and he accuses us, he tries to affect us at our very core, the breastplate protects our emotions as it reminds us that we are covered by grace. You see, the devil wants to think that you are not good enough. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the truth is, you already know you're not good enough. If you think you're good enough today, then I've got unfortunately gonna break it to you. You're not good enough. As a believer, we know we have made a mess of our lives. We know we have disobeyed God. We have gone our own way. But you also know that Christ came. He died in your place so your sins could be forgiven and you could have a relationship with God with no shame or guilt. That relationship could be restored. So when the devil comes and says, you're not good enough, the response is, I know, but Christ is. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are made righteous in the sight of God because when he sees us, he doesn't see our mistakes and our rebellion, but Christ's perfection and his obedience. When we cover our hearts with this breastplate of righteousness, When the enemy accuses us and he tells us how bad or how useless we are, we are protected because we know we are covered by the blood of the lamb. And that means when we mess up and fail again, when you leave here and you fall back into those same thought patterns, or you are reminded of your insufficiencies, when we fall short of God's perfect standard, we come back to the cross and we remember what Christ has done for us. We repent, we ask for his forgiveness, knowing that Christ is sufficient for us today if you are here today feeling shame or guilt, the breastplate of righteousness has been given to you so you can walk into freedom. And you see, it's the breastplate of righteousness, not the breastplate of performance. Some of us see being a Christian about keeping God happy. If I can just try a little bit harder, then maybe I could earn God's acceptance and love. Or I'll go to church and I'll work hard and then maybe... God will see me as a a real Christian. You know, we can accept this gift of grace that Jesus died for us, but then we start to make it about how well we can live as a Christian. We make the Christian uh, life about this tick list about am I keeping God happy? And when we do that, what we say is that Jesus' work on the cross was, was good, but it wasn't enough. The breastplate of righteousness reminds us the truth that it is not about what we have done, but it is all about what Christ has done. Isaiah 64, six, all of us have become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Our efforts to please God are like filthy rags. I don't come today confident in my own abilities. I don't come today confident in my own effort, but I rest on Christ's perfection. That it was sufficient for me yesterday, it is sufficient for me today, and it will be sufficient for me for eternity. The third thing is the shoes. And with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Why do we need shoes in the battle? Well, because shoes give us stability and they give us mobility. Stability because we are in a battle and at times we are gonna have to stand firm. At times we are gonna come under opposition and we're gonna have to stand firm in what we believe. We're gonna face rejection and persecution, but the shoes we are given help us stay firm. Stay grounded. Know what we're standing on. And mobility because we are called to go. Jesus has called us to a great task. Matthew 28, a really famous passage. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In calling us to go to the nations, he was calling us to be a mobile people. A people willing to walk across the road to share the good news of Jesus people willing to move cities to reach people with the gospel, people willing to go to the nations to declare Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 14 to 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul, who wrote this letter, he We know he walked miles and miles to declare the good news to Jesus. Now times have changed. We can travel across the world in a matter of hours, but we are still always to be people who are on the move, carrying the gospel of peace into our families, into our streets, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into the city, into our nation, and to the nations. Fourthly, the shield of faith. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When in a battle, the shield was the first form of defense for a Roman soldier. From a distance, the enemy could fire arrows and do immense damage before they even get close. In in a battle, the enemy would fire these, these flaming arrows. They would fire fireballs. They would fire rough metal darts. All with this purpose of overwhelming the other side, creating chaos and confusion. And to protect themselves, the army would get in tight and the people around the edges would hold the shields in front of them to protect the perimeter. And the ones in the middle would hold the shields above them to protect them from aerial attack. In the battle, the enemy wants to attack us and he wants to target us where we are weak, where we are vulnerable. He wants to cause chaos and confusion in our lives and amongst us as a body. An unprotected army quickly becomes scared by the sight of flaming arrows. Quickly becomes defenseless if they're not if they've not got their shields up. The devil wants to cause chaos and confusion by making you question God's existence and his faithfulness. He wants to cause chaos through illness. He wants to cause chaos through arguments and division amongst the body of Christ. He wants to cause chaos through circumstances that seem to overwhelm you those fiery arrows coming from the enemy, sent to scare you, to overwhelm you, to deeply wound you. But God has given us a shield. This shield of faith is given so that we are not taken out by the arrows. Hebrews 1, verse 1, uh, sorry, Hebrews 11 verse one says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Having this shield is about having confidence in who God is and what he has done for us. When an enemy wants to doubt us to doubt God and his goodness in our lives, faith prompts us to believe God and what he has said. Faith reminds us that God is always faithful and his promises, as scripture says, are yes and amen. Situations might not change you may still go through difficult seasons with your health in relationships you might still suffer hardships but in those moments the shield protects us from attack from the enemy and we trust God will carry us through and protect us always and Romans 10:17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ the shield is put on us to arm ourselves this shield is the word of God and that leads us to the verse 17 and the final two parts of the armor it says take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We often talk about salvation as being the day we chose to follow Jesus. Often, you know, we say, oh, that's, that was the day I was saved. And that's, that is true. But it's also something that we look forward to. Romans 13, 11 says, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. There is this future event, this return of Christ when all things are made new. Life at times can be hard. The battle we can, can be in can be such a struggle and therefore the helmet of salvation is so important because it reminds us of our future. The helmet renews our mind as we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. It gives us confidence about our future, knowing that the battle is won and our eternity is secure. And it helps us live with that eternal perspective. Christ is returning, so we need to carry out the work that God has called us to with a sense of urgency. And so far, all five parts of that armor have been about defense. And the sick thing is the only thing that talk is the only offensive part of the armor, and it is the sword of the spirit. I've already said that the, the devil is a liar. He will try and get you to believe lies, you know, he did that with Adam and Eve in the garden. If you remember the story, he goes to them and he says, did God really say that? We see him do this in the wilderness with Jesus. He says this, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. The devil even quotes scripture. He takes Psalm 91 and he, tries to, he twists it to try and deceive Jesus and tempt him. And, and Jesus' responds, and his response is fascinating. He responds by directly quoting the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six, then chapter eight. The devil brings lies, and Jesus responds by saying, it is written, and then he quotes scripture. Jesus resists the devil, and the devil flees. In the battle, the devil is gonna come against you with lies. He is gonna make you question God. Did God really say that? He is gonna confuse you by trying to twist scripture. People will come and try and confuse you by twisting scripture. And God wants to equip us for the battle with the sword which is the word of God. You know, so just like Jesus, when the devil lies, we counter it by knowing scripture. And when we do that, the devil will flee from us. God is not wanting to equip us with a verse for the day. God is not wanting to just give us a couple of uplifting verses on a fridge magnet. Like, They've got their place. But no, he wants to give us a sword. A fridge magnet with a couple of encouraging verses doesn't destroy the enemy. The word of God, this sword he wants to give us, which is able to destroy any attack from the enemy, is to be soaked, soaked in the word of God. So that when the devil comes and he speaks lies, we can see them for what they are. You might not be able to memorize scripture. Me neither. Some of you can and I really admire you and one day I want to be there but I'm not there at the moment. It's not about memorizing scripture but it is about knowing the word of God. It's about soaking yourselves in the word so that you begin to think biblically. You begin to recognize what is from God and what is not. You hunger to know more and when you need to establish the truth what you do is you open the word of God. You don't rely on the wisdom of this world but you open God's word. Psalm 119 says this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Hiding God's word in our hearts. Letting it soak deep so that we may not sin. And that is the armor for the battle. The the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes which carry the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And Paul is calling the church in Ephesus to put on this armor so that they are ready to do all that God has called them to. This is not a a once only. Paul doesn't say, you know, just put it on and then you're done. This is a daily necessity. We're only as vulnerable as we allow ourselves to be. You know, so often we can wait for crisis before we start praying before we open scripture, before we seek God, before we ask for godly input from fellow believers. We need to be honest, to realise that we are weak and we need the help of others to help put on the armour that God has provided. As we spend time in discipleship relationships, as we are accountable and vulnerable with each other. And as we put on this armour, we have total confidence that God has given us everything we need for the battle. We don't need to live in fear, we don't need to fear opposition or persecution. We don't have to worry about that because scripture makes it clear that the victory is already Christ's. Colossians 2, 15. And then having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The enemy is no match for the Lord. We have a victor on our side. And the final part of being armed for the battle is spoken about in verse 18. And Paul says, I'm praying the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Paul's been talking about this battle. And then his final battle cry is pray at all times. I don't know about you, but often I can find life quite overwhelming. I can feel insufficient to do all that God has called me to. Back in June, I spoke from... Ephesians 1. If one of the welcome teams around, could you just let the kids' workers know we're just going to overrun by five? Is that okay? Thank you. Um, Back in Ephesians, I spoke about these, these words, and I said, I pray that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Paul here. He's wanting us to have total confidence in who we are and experience his power in our lives. That's what I spoke about in, in the middle of June. And, and two weeks later, my, my son, Reuben was born. And the last six months have been an incredible time of being a dad for the first time. It's been amazing. But at the same time, I have experienced battles like never before. I have felt overwhelmed. I have felt out of my depth. Church has been full of lots of challenges and at times the combination of of those challenges and the general exhaustion of having a newborn has pushed me to my very limits. You know what, the, the enemy has attacked and I want to be honest with you, I have believed at times the lies the enemy has brought. You're doing a rubbish job. You can't handle being a father and a church leader. Are you sure God called you to this ministry? Did he really say that? And you know those lies have been so easy for me to believe because I know my past, I know my weaknesses, I know my insufficiencies, I can fear making mistakes or not stewarding well what God has given me. And in those moments, trying harder doesn't cut it. Motivational speeches don't sustain me. Positive thinking is futile. My only hope, my only confidence is that Christ is enough As I realise that the task God has called me to, man, honestly, sometimes I stand on this stage just before I'm about to preach, and I'm I'm like, God, what, why? (laughs) What? You know, when I go into a difficult, I feel overwhelmed when I go into a difficult meeting or there's a circumstance that happens, or I know I've got to preach and my son doesn't want to sleep. Man, honestly, I realise the task God has called me to when I think about what this city, what God wants to do in this city and how he wants to use us, I feel overwhelmed. I'll be honest, at times I feel overwhelmed. When I think of this building, when I think about the money that's involved, when I think about the projects that we wanna do, they keep me up at night at times because I get overwhelmed and I start to believe the lies that the enemy wants to, to give me and feed me. And in those moments, my only hope It's to go to my knees in prayer. It's to ask God to equip me. It's realizing that I am weak, but knowing that in my weakness, Christ wants to strengthen me. And that in my weakness, Christ has given me everything I need to equip me for all he has called me to. And in that moment, Christ becomes my strength. Because my confidence is not in my own ability. My confidence in Jubilee is not in your abilities. Sorry to break that to you. My, The victory is not won because of me. The victory is not won because of you. If you're new to this church, you are not our magic wand. Sorry. The victory is not won because of anything that we bring to, to this. But the victory is won because Jesus fights for us. And he gives us everything we need. When Phil goes out onto the street next Saturday, he's not going out feeling like, I've got all the answers. He's not going to spend half an hour training you. Laying hands on you and then you're going to go out and be the world's best evangelist. No, Phil goes out knowing that he needs Christ. Knowing that Christ is the victory. And Paul calls us to pray at all times because it is through prayer that God equips us. You know, if you're feeling weak today, if you are lacking armour, today God wants to equip you so you are ready for the battle. We go into a week of prayer, not because it seems a good idea, but because we are desperate for God. We are desperate to see God move in our lives, to see it in our lives of our city and throughout the nations. You know, we're going to pray for situations we're in. We're going to pray for the battles we face. We're going to pray for our city and the darkness that is there. We're going to pray for the global church and the believers throughout the nations who are being light into dark places. We're going to pray that God's kingdom would come. And I would urge you to attend At least one of those meetings. Make one of those meetings a priority because it is only through being on our knees in prayer that God will equip us and we will see him move in power. I wonder if he'd stand with me. If the bank could join me, that would be great.